So while I was looking up sources and doing research for my video on Roe vs. Wade and abortion rights, I came across this website called Human Life International. Boop, boop, boop. And they have this nifty little article here called Why Women Abort by the Human Life International staff published on May 5th, 2021. Oh man, I'm, I'm disappointed they don't have a, a picture of the author so that we can roast them, but I guess it is what it is. At least they bothered to cite some sources in here, that's good. Let's look around and see what they got here. We have empowering you to build a pro-life, pro-family world. And when they say pro-family, you know, what they mean is forcing people into cisgender heterosexual marriages so that they pump out as many babies as possible. They're against birth control. They're against abortion. Let's see what they have to say on LBGTQ issues. <laughs> Homophile propagandist. They can change. These people are something else. One thing that I know from talking to pro-lifers and from having been a pro-lifer and reading pro-life rhetoric is that, you know, the pro-life movement, while it's not universally made up of upper class and middle class people, those people do seem to be the majority of the movement. And a lot of arguments that the pro-life crowd makes ultimately revolve around hatred or contempt for the working class and the dismissal of the reality of life for working class people. And this article here, Why Women Abort, is pretty much proof of that. Americans are appallingly ignorant on abortion statistics. One poll showed that California college students believed that abortion was illegal after the first trimester, and that there are less than 100,000 abortions done in the United States every year. The actual number is more than 10 times as many surgical and chemical abortions. The number is actually about 400,000, at least it was in the year 2015. But, you know, it probably is a little bit higher now since the economy has come on hard times, and, you know, People who otherwise would be willing to become parents are forced into childlessness because of poverty due to the bad economy. And of course, abortion is freely available throughout all nine months of pregnancy. Okay, I'm not sure where they're getting that idea, but there are only eight states that place no time or gestation restrictions on abortions. And late-term, quote-unquote, late-term abortion is actually pretty hard to come by. I've read stories of people like having to, you know, fly all the way across the country in order to obtain an abortion past 21 weeks, and there are very few doctors left who actually perform those procedures. Another important thing to remember, if something costs money, it's not available to everyone. Plain and simple. Some states have laws that ban insurance companies from covering abortion care, and I don't believe that Medicaid is able to cover abortion under any circumstances. Many women in the United States live 100 miles or more from the nearest abortion provider, and abortion restrictive laws 
put all these other like hoops that women need to jump through in place, like 24-hour waiting periods, which could make these 100-mile journeys to these clinics a lot more difficult and expensive because, you know, you got to find a place to stay overnight and things like that. You have to take time off work. You have to secure childcare. So, you know, it's actually not very easy at all for a working class person to get an abortion in this country. Why do people get late-term abortions? Well, first of all, laws that restrict abortions make it more likely that somebody will get a late-term abortion just because it's harder for them to get one earlier. Second of all, medical complications can arise later on in a pregnancy that make continuing the pregnancy dangerous for the pregnant person. Of course, if the fetus is at the point where it could be viable outside the womb, in that case, they deliver and, you know, you have a baby at that point. They're not going to just terminate a gestationally viable, healthy fetus. And also, after that point of 21 weeks, birth defects and abnormalities can show up where it shows that the fetus cannot live outside the womb or it would have a very poor health and quality of life outside the womb. In which case, you know, I would say the ethical thing to do in that situation would be to abort. Many people also grossly overestimate the percentage of abortions done to save women's lives or physical health in cases of rape and incest or to avoid birth defects. Eugenics! The idea of, you know, selectively aborting certain fetuses to avoid them having, you know, certain disabilities or quote-unquote birth defects, I'm not going to say that that's not a serious concern. I myself technically have a disability. I have ADHD and, you know, I do worry about a future in which people like me will not have a chance to be born because of super advanced genetic screening that will attempt to weed us off the face of the earth. But most of the time when we're talking about these birth defects or these fetal abnormalities, we're talking about things that make life impossible outside the womb or make life horrible and not good outside the womb. For example, I read a story about a woman who got an abortion because her fetus was shown to have no kidneys and no bladder. So those are things you need to have a living body. And it was very likely that the fetus would die within her body before it was born, or it would die soon after birth. And, you know, you're going to traumatize your whole family and yourself if you deliver a baby only for it to die in your arms. Some people choose to do that, and I guess that's fine with them, but I don't think it's necessarily the ethical decision. We're not talking about fetuses that, you know, are just maybe a little bit off or maybe a little bit weird. We're not even talking about fetuses that would be disabled. We're talking about fetuses that are not going to be able to live healthy lives outside the womb. You know, we're talking about abnormalities that are incompatible with life oftentimes. And, you know, I don't think you can necessarily dismiss that as just eugenics. This is a fallacy that pro-abortion groups continue to cultivate because it helps them to spread abortion in nations with pro-life laws and to retain abortions on demand once they have achieved it. Public opinion polls conducted over the years in the United States reveal that people generally believe that the hard cases account for anywhere from one quarter to one half of all abortions. So here, they're defining hard cases, I think, as any instance where abortion is performed for reasons other than social or economic ones. First of all, I don't think these cases are actually hard. 
for many pregnant people, there is absolutely no moral dilemma going on where the pregnancy results from rape or incest, when the pregnant person's health is at stake, or when the baby would be unable to live a healthy life outside of the womb. You know, that's, that's an easy case. You get an abortion. Of course, there are people who would choose not to do that, but I don't think those are particularly difficult cases, morally speaking. But I guess, you know, the, the big question is why are we making that distinction between the hard cases and the not hard ones? What do they think is the opposite of a hard case? An easy case? So why is an abortion for social or economic reasons somehow less complicated than one done for any other reason? Why is a mother's mental and physical health somehow more or less important than a mother's social or economic well-being? They seem to be implying here that there are some cases where abortion is potentially justified and cases where it definitely isn't. The hard cases are the ones where it might be justified, and so there's a moral dilemma going on, and the not-hard cases are the ones where they don't see it being justified under any circumstances. And I think they're saying these cases are easy because, you know, the moral dilemma is clear. But I would say it's the other way around, you know? But the fact that they make this distinction is actually really important. It's because they can't possibly think of a scenario in which a person is forced to have an abortion because of their external circumstances. And that's because a very large portion of people who live in this pro-life world are very unlikely to ever be in such a situation themselves because they're middle class or upper class. Well, I shouldn't say middle class or upper class. Those aren't real classes. Maybe more like petty bourgeois or professional managerial classes. They don't think that economic and social problems are real problems because they've never had to deal with those problems themselves. A survey of more than 2.4 million aborting women performed by the states of Florida, Louisiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Utah during the years 1996 to 2020 gives us an accurate estimate of the number of hard case abortion, since these are the numbers that abortion clinics must report in official documents to these states. To save the health of the mother in the case of rape, in the case of birth defects or fetal abnormalities, all of those add up to 3.5%, and 96.5% of all abortions are therefore performed for social or economic reasons. And here's another thing to consider. Even if we accept the premise that abortion is only justified in what they are calling hard cases, the thing is, putting any restrictions on abortion is going to make it very difficult for people in those hard cases to get the abortions they need. And, you know, I think what these pro-lifers are saying is that they feel comfortable forcing people in these hard cases to carry the pregnancy to term regardless of the damage it does. And I think they think that because these cases are rare, that the people who are harmed in these quote-unquote hard cases are justifiable collateral damage. And that's why the ratio of hard to not hard cases matters to them at all. They're trying to justify a world in which nobody is allowed to get an abortion, and they're trying to come up with the excuse that, you know, people who are put in horrible situations because of lack of access to abortion 
well, that's not really a real problem anyway. You know, it's only a few people. As if those few people don't matter. And, you know, they're claiming that more than one million people are getting abortions every year. You know, what's 3.5% of one million? 35,000. So they're claiming here that 35,000 people every year are getting abortions for reasons that I think most people on this planet would say are justified reasons, even if they do consider themselves to be more pro-life leaning. You know, that's 35,000 people who would be forced to carry pregnancies that could put their health at risk, that will result in a stillbirth, or that are the product of rape or incest. And they're just, like, okay with that. Even the Gut Matcher Institute puts the number of abortions done for these hard cases under 7% after doing surveys of women attaining abortions. The Gut Matcher Institute was the research arm of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America, the largest chain of abortion clinics in the United States. It is considered the most reliable provider of accurate statistics on abortion. Of course, they think that Planned Parenthood is a chain because they think it's a for-profit institution. It's definitely classified as a non-profit. As a socialist, I don't necessarily see that distinction to be really that important. Um, you know, even if they were performing abortions for profit, whatever, I guess that's their right under capitalism. You know, you provide a service, you make money off of it. You know, I'm just glad that they're there to do it. But of course, you know, these nonprofits, these NGOs, while they often do provide helpful services, they can be pretty corrupt institutions that funnel funds to highly overpaid executive staff. They can snuff out revolutionary movements and get in the way of grassroots organizing just because they're taking charge of the movement and telling people to go vote. You know, they tend to play a rather conservative political role. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily like these nonprofit institutions, but I do like the services that they perform. And I want to live in a world where these nonprofits, like Planned Parenthood, you know, there's no purpose for them because all of the services they provide will be provided by publicly funded institutions that are under the democratic control of the working class and are available everywhere, guaranteed. I like that Planned Parenthood is around to provide family planning services, but I dream of a world in which all the things they do are instead performed by public institutions. They're not a substitute for revolutionary politics. The reasons for abortions all over the world are largely the same. In 1998, the Guttmatcher Institute published the results of studies showing that lifestyle reasons also predominate among aborting women in other nations. In its summary of surveys performed in 26 countries outside the United States showed the primary reasons for aborting given by the approximately 62,000 women interviewed. Since rape and incest are included under other reasons, a maximum of 5.8% of all abortions performed in other countries are done for the hard cases, and a minimum of 94.2% are performed to preserve the mother's lifestyle or to please those around her. So there's our key word that I want to talk about today, lifestyle. So apparently these people think that the ability to pay rent instead of being homeless is a matter of lifestyle. These people think that the ability to care for children that you already have is a matter of lifestyle. 
they think that the prohibitively high healthcare costs of pregnancy and birth and the prohibitively high cost of supplies like baby formula or diapers or other childcare necessities count as a lifestyle issue. And, you know, I just want you to think about how cruel and dismissive that language is. Since these pro-lifers tend to come from privileged backgrounds, they don't understand that economic concerns are just as much life-and-death concerns as those relating to healthcare or violence such as rape or incest. For a large portion of the people who get abortions, abortion is not a choice. They are forced into abortion because of these lifestyle issues. Forced, really. If you are a working class person who's already scrimping and saving, who's already struggling just to keep your head above water, giving birth is just a non-viable option. Which is why birth rates are so low in the United States right now, because economic conditions for working class people are pretty horrible. The takeaway. Even people who wish to argue that hard cases justify abortion must admit that these hard cases only occur a tiny minority of the time, and that the vast majority are performed for social or economic reasons. So, if you read between the lines in that paragraph here, once again, these people believe that even in cases where a very large portion of the population thinks that abortion is justified or necessary, they are okay taking away abortion rights in those cases too. They think that it's perfectly okay to force someone to carry pregnancies to term in cases of rape or incest, or in the case of serious health concerns for the pregnant person or fetus. They think that this is okay just because these cases are rare. You know, they're perfectly okay with 30,000 people every single year being forced to carry a pregnancy to term in cases where it is unspeakably cruel and morally unconscionable to do so. So not only do they dismiss the reality of life for working class people that denies them the right to become parents, they also even dismiss even cases where abortion is necessary, even by the standard of many people who call themselves pro-life. And poking around this organization's website, I've discovered that this organization doesn't actually believe that these hard cases, quote-unquote hard cases, even exist. They actually believe that modern medicine has eliminated any instance where abortion is necessary to save a woman's life. They even think that allowing medical exemptions is just a gateway to allowing abortion in more, quote-unquote, less justified cases. And they do actually dismiss the importance of such scenarios by re-emphasizing that these cases are rare, which means that they're okay if some women die because of lack of access to abortion. They don't think that there are any medical reasons why abortion might protect a woman's health, and they do actually think that people who are raped should be forced to carry their pregnancies to term. And if you notice, they also put a lot of emphasis on the quote-unquote family. You know, they're spewing homophobic nonsense under the Catholic idea of loving the sinner and hating the sin, and they want to rid the world of contraception, despite the fact that contraception can reduce the number of abortions performed. They are once again trying to force people, including LGBT people, into cis-heterosexual marriages and turn them into baby-making machines. The goal of this organization and of the pro-life movement in general is to control the behavior of working-class people, first and foremost. And they justify this by pretending that the problems working-class people face, like the life-and-death struggle to just 
keep yourself alive under capitalism are completely unimportant. The pro-life movement is an authoritarian movement fundamentally hostile to working class people, and I know this from experience. And if we're going to fight to protect and expand reproductive rights, we need to understand that fact.